Do your customers talk about you and your company? Well, uh, why should they? Let's answer that today on The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, greetings, everyone. Once again, welcome to The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, on the podcast where we want to figure out exactly the way our customers think, how they make their purchase decisions, what goes on in that decision-making process. And ultimately, when we understand the way that our buyers want to buy, we can reverse engineer our process to make it easy for them to do just that. And today, we're going to look at how we stand out and what do we do to get our customers talking about us, how do we take advantage of word of mouth? Joined, as always, by our show producer, Paul Murphy. Murphy, you're a Colorado guy, and you've mentioned from time to time on this podcast your love for a good In-N-Out burger whenever you're in California. Let me ask you, do you talk about that with your family and friends back home? Always. Uh, As a matter of fact, In-N-Out is coming finally. I've been out here over 20 (laughs) years in Colorado. They're coming to Colorado. They've figured it out. I'm so excited. That's awesome. Where are they going first? Do you know yet? Well, interestingly enough, their distribution point is really close to where I live here in Monument, Colorado. So that's a plus. Um, And then I think think they're going to start in Colorado Springs and South Denver. That's the two places they'll start. Okay, well, listen, we we absolutely need to see uh, the photo of you in the very, very long line on opening day, uh, talking to people out there and uh, and, and getting ready to enjoy an In-N-Out burger. You you can uh, prime all of the locals, uh, with regale them with your stories of uh, In-N-Out. But it's so funny how that works, um, where that word of mouth uh, goes out there first. And my guess is by the time In-N-Out opens in Colorado, there's going to be a huge line, wouldn't you think? It's going to be miles, miles long. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is that word of mouth is the very best possible advertising. In and out actually does, for example, actually does very, very little advertising, but people talk about them all the time. We tend to think that, you know, if we just provide a good product and good service and we're really nice people, well, it's just going to happen, right? People are going to talk about it. Well, listen, it might happen. But I, for one, am not satisfied with building my business around what might happen. There's an intentionality to spurring that word of mouth. And that's what we're going to talk about today with our guest, Jay Bear, and his book, Talk Triggers. It's absolutely fascinating. And I'll tell you what, Jay is just, we've had him on the show before. Uh, he's a, just an, a brilliant thinker and a very, very creative guy. And we got so much out of the interview that, in fact, it was supposed to be a, about a 20-minute conversation, and it went twice that long. So we broke it into two episodes. Uh, such great content. Let's get into it right now. Talk Triggers with Jay Bear. Well, thrilled now to bring on to the podcast, the great Jay Bear. We've had him on before, but he's got a book that's uh, out uh, very recently, and it's doing extremely well, and for good reasons. It is a really, really great book, uh, all about talk triggers. That's the name of the book, and we're going to get into that today. Uh, Jay Bear is the founder of Convince and Convert. Uh, I know him through the National Speakers Association. We've been at some conferences together. He he is uh, a legend. When Jay Bear walks down the hall at NSA, everybody knows it. 
And he's just a really, really good guy. Jay, welcome to The Buyer's Mind once again. Jeff, thanks so much. Fantastic to be here. I appreciate those kind words, some of which are true. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let, let, I want to talk about Talk Trigger because it was just such a fun book. You know, I, and before we get into the details of, of the book, uh, I, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about why you decided you wanted to write the book in the first place. And then I want to talk about the tone and the style of the way that the book was written. So let, let's talk about the why. why. Why did this book need to be written? I write all my books for the same reason. Uh, I, I'm fortunate to still run a, a large consulting firm that works with big companies all the time on marketing and customer experience issues. So, so I'm still in it, even though I'm on stage a lot, I'm still very much in the mix. And yeah. I write all of them for the same reason. And, and I don't really write on a cadence necessarily. You kind of get that itch at, at some point, but mm -hmm. it's essentially when I see a pattern of questions emerging from our clients where they all are kind of confused about the same thing, it makes me wonder, hmm, I'll bet you some other people don't know that either, and maybe we should address it. So in this case, Jeff, what, what happened was we had a lot of our clients uh, saying, you know, we feel like we've got a better handle on kind of the mechanics of digital marketing now, sort of mm -hmm. how Facebook works, how Twitter works, how podcasts work, whatever. But we're not really sure what to say, which made me realize like, huh, these are some of the biggest companies in the world and they're not really sure what story they're telling or what story they want to be told about them. And, and so as we got to go back to the basics here and, and understand how to turn customers uh, into your best marketers. And it ended up being very, very timely because of course, uh, in the time that it took us to write the book and everything, it's it's gotten infinitely harder even uh, right. to to reach customers uh, on the marketing side at, at least, and and so we actually really see the pendulum swinging back toward word of mouth or conversational uh, customer experiences. The other thing I do, Jeff, that I don't know we've talked about in the past, uh, that I do that's a little different than most people is that all the books that I write, uh, and this is my sixth one, start out as, as speeches. So I write, I write a speech, I take it on the road, I, I get it better, uh, I learn lessons from how audiences react to different segments of it, and then when I feel like it's pretty good, then I take it and turn it into a book. And so I always mm -hmm. start there. I think that helps with the narrative flow a little bit because right. it, it right. has a beginning, the middle, and end, the same way a presentation would. So that's just mm -hmm. the, way, uh, the way I tend to do it. But you also know by the time the book come out, like listen, when you and I are giving a speech, especially we give the same speech several times, of course, it's modified and, and constructed for the audience, but we know the impact points. We know when it's going to hit. So now you have the opportunity to take some of those lessons. You can actually see in the eyes of your future readers and know, okay, that's a point that I'm going to, that I'm going to expand upon because clearly I'm scratching an itch right there. Yeah, I do a lot of mining of uh, social media conversations as well. It's not as mm -hmm. common as it used to be for people to live tweet uh, speeches, but I do a lot of marketing conferences, you might suspect, and it's sure. more common in those audiences. And, and I actually will download all the tweets about a talk and then see you know, which sections or which lines or which stories in the presentation create the most audience reaction. And then you sort of use those as your, as your focal points. You know, it, I was. It's interesting though, as you're looking at as at the idea of thinking through and listening and being attentive to what are people talking about that they don't understand, and what you're saying is that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Which to me, every book should approach it from that way. There's a problem that needs to be solved. I, I find it interesting. You know, we had uh, Daniel Pink on the show, and mm -hmm. and of course, you know, he he goes all over the map, right? He the, his last book about. 
about timing and before that about sales and a bit before that about yes. motivation. And I asked him this question is, what do you do? And he said, I just look around and I see where are the gaps, the societal gaps uh, that people don't fully understand. And then I get really curious about it. And then from there, uh, the lessons yes. come out of this. It sounds like you do the same thing, but it's but all as it relates to the idea of uh, marketing, customer care, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not nearly as smart as Dan Pink. And so <laughs> I, and, and also not as confident. Like I know for a fact, I can I can help salespeople make more sales. And I know I can help mm-hmm. marketers get more customers. And I know I can help yeah. customer service teams keep customers. Like I, I know how to help businesses. I've been doing it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like, people ask me all the time, like why don't you write a book that, that appeals more on a one-on-one basis to individuals and I always say the same thing. It's because I'm a train wreck. Like, I don't feel like I have any any license to advise somebody on a personal basis. Uh, but I know I can help your business. I'm not so sure yeah. I can help you. Right. Uh, but but it is interesting how Dan does it. Just what is like, you know, Gladwell too, in, in, a, in a lot of right. ways. Just sure. like what, what do you think is interesting? I, there's a, I believe that that time may come for me. I, I may, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of not, not do as much uh, straight sales, marketing, customer experience stuff. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, you're, you have a curious mind, right? You're the type of person who yeah. is observant, who is curious. And, and I think that that's really the key when you look at people, like if you listen to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, he's just all over the map. But it's all stuff that you can tell he is insanely curious about. Plus, he has a research mind. Same with Dan Pink, where they're going to leave a whole lot on the cutting room floor before they get to mm-hmm. what it's actually coming. I could absolutely see you doing that. I think you'd have fun. Let, let's talk about the tone of talk triggers because one of the yeah. things that I, I look at when I'm looking at books, especially business books, you know, who is it written to? How is it written? And um, sometimes when we look at a book and say that was a really fun read, we mistakenly think that it's light. This book is not light. It's extremely well-researched, and yet it was very approachable. It was a lot of fun to read. Did did you shoot for that from the very beginning? Was What, what was your thought about tone from the, from the outset? Having a word-of-mouth strategy is important, in our estimation, to every business. Mm-hmm. It is the best way to create customers, and it's the best way for salespeople to create more sales. If, if somebody comes to you uh, and says, hey, I heard about you from somebody else. The chance of you converting that prospect go up immeasurably. It makes sales jobs so much easier when you have a, you know, a logical, reliable uh, word of mouth strategy. Unfortunately, hardly anybody does, which is why I wrote the book. But, but this principle of talk triggers and doing something in the operations of your business that customers notice and talk about is applicable to a one-person business, uh, and it's applicable to Oracle and everybody mm-hmm. uh, in between. And so when, when Daniel Lemon, uh, my good friend who wrote the book with me, and I set out to create this project, we very uh, purposely said we want to write it in a way that it has enough meat on the bone for, for enterprise companies, but it's still approachable for smaller businesses. And so we, we wrote it uh, in, in, a, in a tone that's not super academic. And then we also were very uh, particular, Jeff, about what case studies and stories we included. So we've got B2B, we've got B2C, we've got large, we've got small, we've got US, we've got international, uh, we've got consumer products, and we have software. Um, so we essentially kind of Noah's Ark did, right? We took all mm-hmm. the examples that we had, put them on a, on a spreadsheet and, and said, okay, in, in, in a couple of cases, and I'll just admit to this, this is maybe not my favorite case study, but we included that one as opposed to another one because we wanted to make sure that there were no businesses who could read this book or individuals and say, I don't see myself in this book. 
That's a great point because that, that applicability is pretty critical if you're going to try and find out how you do this. When we look at the idea of uh, developing talk triggers, it seems to me that there are are two ways that they could happen. One is organically because just the culture of an organization is set up to allow for such things to happen even on a one or one. But then the other is systematically to be able to go through and say, OK, what are we going to do as an organization? Something that's dependable and repeatable that we could absolutely be known for. You you use, for example, the cookie of the double tree as an example yeah. of that. Uh, do you look at this more and say, you know, look, build a type of culture where talk triggers are just going to happen because people are really good to one another? Or do you look at it more and say, no, nah, it's got to be more systematic than that? Well, it's one begets the other, I think. One mm-hmm. of the things that we talk about in the book and we certainly see in our consulting business when we help organizations come up with uh, you know, sort of differentiators that, that spur a conversation is that everybody's got to be on the same page, right? It, it can't just be uh, one person's idea. It has to be supported uh, in sales. It's got to be supported in service. It's got to be supported in marketing, in supply chain. All the different departments have to be on board. And that requires... Uh, at some level, a customer-focused culture, which sounds self-evident, but I think as we mm-hmm. all know, uh, mm-hmm. not all businesses are customer-focused, even though they like to believe that they are. So mm-hmm. so culture is definitely a part of it. But one of the challenges that we've observed and why this book exists is that very few companies are intentional about word of mouth. They, they just figure, well, look, if we run a competent business, our customers will naturally talk about us. Mm-hmm. And Meh, I mean, I guess a little, but mm-hmm. the reality is that competency doesn't create conversations. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know all of your listeners, Jeff, but I'm sure I know some of them. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. Nobody listening to your show has ever said, hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. Right. Like, nobody yeah. says that because it's not a good story. It's not mm-hmm. a story worth telling. And it's not a story worth listening to. And, yeah. and, you know, some of this is just is just physiology. As human beings, we are wired to discuss things that are different, things that break an existing pattern and ignore things that are average, things that adhere to an existing pattern. And so Mm -hmm. what we recommend in the book is to say, yeah, of course you want to be a competent business. That's how you retain customers, but do something, just one thing, make one unconventional choice in -hmm. your customer experience that is designed to create uh, conversations. And and that's Mm -hmm. really what uh, the secret of the book is, is to say, let's all get together culturally and say, we're going to do this and then find one thing like the like the hotel chain I mentioned, not Doubletree, but graduate hotels. Terrific business based in uh, Chicago. They have 13 hotels open, 20 by the end of this year. Each mm-hmm. of their hotels are in a college town. And each mm-hmm. hotel is adjacent, literally a budding campus of a major university. There's one here in Bloomington uh, that's that's uh, tied into Indiana University. There's, you know, there's lots of them. Uh, and, and each hotel is designed completely custom to be evocative of the history, traditions, and nostalgia of that university. So the colors match. There's all kinds of uh, objects. It's almost a museum and homage to the university. Hotel is, of course, called The Graduate. Each of the hotels, instead of having the regular plastic room key that everybody listening has had 14,000 times, uh, and every room key just has the logo of the hotel on the back. It's the Hyatt, you know, and the key has the Hyatt logo on the back. What The Graduate does is for every one of their hotels, they do a bunch of research on on famous um, graduates of that institution, and the room keys in each of the hotels are pretend student ID cards of famous graduates. 
So, so the, uh, the the location in Athens, Georgia, tied into the University of Georgia, has Dominique Wilkins, who is an NBA mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. His student ID card is one of your room keys. Uh, Ernie Johnson, who's the host of NBA on TNT, his his ID card is a room key. And what's amazing about it is they take something that's so perfunctory, so mundane so boring and they just put a little twist on it and it costs them half a cent more per key to do that so relatively insignificant uh, and it creates all these conversations people collect them like baseball cards right it's amazing right well and then how many times have those showed up on somebody's instagram feed i mean this countless times countless times so it's just doing something with intentionality um that that you know, that people will say, Hey, I haven't seen that before. Let me share that with my friends. Ironically, you and I are recording the show on Uber conference mm-hmm. and Uber conference is one of the case studies in the book because mm-hmm. of their hilarious, uh, and truly outstanding on hold music. Right. Yeah. Uh, And for those of you who don't know, if you call into Uber Conference, uh, you can choose whatever hold music you want. But they've got a a, a couple that they wrote uh, about a guy who's sitting on hold all day long. And it's just it's his his ballad of being on hold. And 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 I I, I do this all the time. I I, somebody will be on hold for a while and and I'll I'll finally jump on. And they're laughing. They're they're literally laughing when I pick up the phone. It's uh, it's hilarious. Uh, By the way, one quick thing. You could put any music you want of your choice as your whole music on Uber conference. Yes. And we have somebody in our company who puts, uh, who plays uh, uh, never going to give you up by uh, Rick Astley. Nice. So we can get Rick nice. rolled when somebody uh, calls into I the like conference. That. Good idea. Uh, you know, as we were looking at this idea that competency doesn't uh, uh, create conversation, uh, uh, your words, uh, I, it's one of the things that drives me crazy about quote, customer satisfaction scores. Mm-hmm. When we look mm-hmm. at it, we say 95% of our customers are satisfied. And uh, you know, all, all that that really tells me is that uh, 5% is hacked. That's the only thing I really know. But uh, sat- I, satisfied is simply not going to do it because satisfied is so same. And your your little catchy uh, a little uh, statement here, same is lame. And uh, because of that idea that we discuss, uh, you know, that which separates us, but we ignore everything else. But on the other hand, you talk about the idea that you could go too far on this. You could, in this, in essence, try too hard. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, we see it a lot in B two B for some reason, in particular. I think because the value of a sale is so high, and and marketers are mostly guilty of this. Not so much sales, but sometimes uh, you get this circumstance where people say, "Boy, I tell you what, it's." Uh, it's hard to break through. We got a lot of competitors and they're, they're better funded and have better name recognition. We got to do something. We got we to gotta shake people out of their stupor. We're, we, we've got to shock and awe them into paying attention. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a contest, Jeff. We're going to have all of our prospects or current customers uh, enter this contest. You know, if it's, on a, a, you see this at, you know, trade shows, put your name in a fishbowl or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of you, uh, after this contest, one of you uh, is going to win an island. You're like, wait, what? An, uh, an island, like an actual island, yeah. And then you realize, like, they don't have an island. They're, that's what, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And, and when you, it turns out, when you, when you deliver experiences to customers that are too grand, it doesn't create conversation. It has the opposite effect mm-hmm. because it creates suspicion. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to tell a story where they think there's a catch, where they think the other shoe is going to drop, where they think it's bogus in some way. They might do it themselves because like, well, maybe they do have an island, but they're not likely to tell their friends because they're not certain that the deal is genuine. So when you're mm-hmm. creating a word of mouth strategy, what you want 
is something that's different enough to be remarkable, right? To be a story worth telling, but not so large that people find it untrustworthy. All right. Now, when we look at the structure of the book, Jay, we're talking to Jay Bear, author of uh, Talk Triggers. Uh, you've got this system that you have looked at, uh, and, and I don't want to give away the whole book, but you've got the four requirements of a talk mm-hmm. trigger in order to identify what they are. You've got the five types of talk triggers, and then you've got six steps to create talk triggers. And uh, for those of you who haven't read the book yet, that the the six steps is the real to me the really exciting part of the book. But right now, let's talk about the five types. Uh, do you want to touch on those real quick? and and, uh, give us a sense of the, because it gives us the foundation for what you're going to do next. I think it's in many ways the most helpful part of the book because Mm -hmm. it it contextualizes what a word of mouth strategy could be. Look, I'll tell you, the worst way to do this, the worst way to come up with the word of mouth is the way most people do it. They lock themselves in a conference room, they order pizza and they brainstorm it. And man, if it was that easy, you would already have a talk trigger. Right, Uh, sure. So it helps to understand that there's, there's, in our estimation, five ways, five sort of categories uh, of of word of mouth activators. So the first one is the one you see most often. Uh, We call it talkable generosity. When you're more generous than your customers expect you to be, um, you sort of give them something extra. You mentioned the the Doubletree hotels that give you a warm chocolate chip cookie when you check in. They've been doing Mm -hmm. it every day for 30 years. Mm-hmm. They'll give out about 75,000 cookies today, which is a lot of cookies. Yeah. Uh, and we did a bunch of research. We, we, we spent a lot of time and a lot of money on proprietary research for this project. Mm-hmm. And one of the projects was we did a national survey of Doubletree guests and found that 34% of them uh, have told a story about the cookie to somebody else, which means that every single day, approximately 22,500 stories are told about this cookie. Now, Companion question, uh, when's the last time you saw a Doubletree ad? That's a great point. Not very often. Yeah, Not very often uh, because the cookie is the ad and the Mm -hmm. guests are the marketing department. They have a sales department, of course, but the sales department's job is so much easier when the customers are doing the marketing. And and it reminds me of a quote by uh, Robert Stevens, uh, who is somebody I really admire in business. He was the founder of Geek Squad. Mm-hmm. The services arm for Best Buy. And Robert has a quote that, that isn't 100% true, but it's true enough. And it goes like this, Jeff. It says, advertising is a tax paid by the unremarkable. I love it. And I think Doubletree proves the truth of that in, in mm-hmm. some ways. So, right. talkable generosity sure. is the first one. Uh, you can also I, I just I have to say parenthetically right. here, if you look at most marketing companies and said, okay, our goal here, folks, in our brainstorming session is to try and get people to talk about our product 22,000 times today. What shall we do? I think the last thing in the world that somebody would come up with is, well, we could give away cookies. Yeah. It's one of the first things we would come up with in my company, but that's what we do. So, but you're exactly right. You're exactly All right, go ahead. Right. Uh, second one is talkable speed. Uh, mm-hmm. When when you are just faster than your yeah. customers expect you to be, I will tell you that this one has uh, it's kind of a double edged sword, right? So it's it's perhaps the most impactful. It creates a lot of conversation when you can do it right, but it's the hardest one to hold over time because customer expectations around speed continue to ratchet up. So, you know, it's a tricky one to say, we're going to own this for five or 10 years. Uh, a new story that's not in the book, I just discovered it recently. There's an accounting firm uh, in Indianapolis, not far from me, uh, called Bogdanoff and Dodges. Uh, Paul and Tim uh, are, the, are the owners. And uh, Paul and Tim have a couple of associates, a couple of uh, support staff. You know, it's a small accounting firm. There's literally 10,000 of them in the U.S. They do small business returns, personal returns. 
the same as everybody else, except they have a talk figure, Jeff. They respond to every client call and email within five minutes. Now, I've had a lot of accountants in my time, probably mm-hmm. you have as well, some mm-hmm. of them quite good, uh, but nobody has ever called me back within five minutes every single time. Right, and right. if that was the case, would I tell somebody about that? Hell yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so everybody could do that. They just choose not to. They have made an operational decision to make that work and to create conversations. They're tiny, tiny, I can't even they got like 62 Google reviews, uh, all that mention uh, this, this talk figure, which is kind of amazing. Well, Murph, that was just such a great conversation. And I just, one of the things that uh, that Jay Bear just said that really stuck out with me is the idea that competency doesn't create conversation. You know, we tend to think, tend to think, well, if I just, if I do it well and I'm uh, kind of nice and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of passing that minimum threshold that people are going to talk about it. But that's not where Jay uh, Bear was going at all, was he? No, not at all. You know, uh, I think with with Jay, he was doing a lot of research, and uh, you know, one of the things that he he does talk about uh, in in the book uh, specifically is talking about uh, the Cheesecake Factory and just how amazing they are, and the mm-hmm. the word of mouth. How can you not talk about the Cheesecake Factory um, with the size of their menu and everything right. else that they have on it? That's it just generates conversation, doesn't it? Right. And then when you look at the fact that they're, that we, what do we talk about talk triggers today? We talked about generosity and speed. Well, I think GCA Factory does a fine job in regards to getting you your meal once you sit down, even though the wait might be a while. But you want to talk about generosity, just look at the portion size at, at Cheesecake Factory. One of the reasons I enjoy going there is because I get two meals out of that one. It's an easier thought to digest. See what I did there? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> The other side of it is, on this episode, we talked about generosity. We talked about speed. We'll talk about the others on the next episode. But when we look at speed, that idea of performing quickly, of helping you quickly. And I think that that's really interesting to me because our expectations as consumers is that most of the companies that we reach out to to do business with, we don't expect speed. Right. We've we've sort of gotten used to, you know, if I have to call a call center, I've sort of gotten used to the idea that, well, this is going to take an hour. You know, th- this is going to take a long wh- whatever it is. I think everything is about working with the Department of Motor Vehicles and and, and uh, they set the pace for how slow that they can get it. So I'm not even sure that it takes that much to be able to hurdle over the speed bar. But I think it does take that intense amount of intentionality in order to do it. I think a lot of companies are just afraid of over-promising and under-delivering. So fine, don't make the promise to to your customers. Just make it to yourself, but do it over and over and over again, and you'll get people to pay attention. Uh, a great, great episode, and we look forward to continuing that next week. But now it's time for some application. We're, we're going to hear next week, but I want to ask you the question, what can you do to run with just those two things? And I'm going to encourage you to sit down right now and think through what would it look like for us to be generous? What would generosity look like? What could I do uh, for my customer that would show them I'm interested in them having a great experience and I am willing to be generous uh, in order to do that? 
And I, I just think about, uh, you know, we've got a, a local Italian restaurant here and the, the owner of the restaurant is, uh, he's very proud of it, right? He likes his restaurant and he will oftentimes just pop out just a little bit and uh, he'll say, hey, I was just whipping something up in the back here. Why don't you just try this and tell me what you think? Now, he's asking for our opinion, but really, hey, it's a free sample. How about that? Or he'll, he'll, he'll bring a little taste of wine over and say, how do you like this new wine that I just brought in? And it's great. It's, it's, he's, yeah, yeah, I guess you could put it under market research, but I look at it under generosity. Uh, what could you do under speed? How, how could you make that personal commitment to say, when you talk to me, you're going to get immediate response. Even if that immediate response says, I can't help you yet, but I'm sure paying attention to you, it'll go a long, long way. The fact of the matter is that 19% of purchases are caused by word of mouth. Not just influenced, 90% of purchases are influenced by word of mouth. These are statistics from Jay Bear's extensive research. 90% of purchases are influenced by word of mouth, by what we hear from others. But 19% of purchases are caused, caused by word of mouth. I did it because someone else did it. And that's the beauty. That's where the magic happens. But that doesn't happen just by being competent. You have to be so much more than competent. You have to have that intentionality to want to go over the top consistently with something you can do over and over again in order to help your customer uh, to see things that they're not going to see anywhere else. It's a great opportunity. Make sure you stay tuned uh, next week for our part two of our discussion with Jay Bear as he talks about the remaining three top triggers and helps you to understand how you can change your customer's world. 